0: Hello and welcome to Play, Train, Grow, a podcast that asks what is life really like chasing the dream of a professional footballer. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Gordon McClelland, who runs the Parents and Sport website. He's also teacher, coach, parent, author. What else, Gordon? Welcome. Have I missed anything out?
1: No, you've already made me sound far better than I actually am. I guess a sports parent to a boy in a football academy as well, which which I guess will add a bit of context to this as well. Absolutely,
0: and a and a, and a mighty red as well with tonight's game coming up. Went forward. Yeah, to absolutely. That. Yeah, looking forward to that. Great. So again, just give us a little bit on your your background, uh, what you work towards, and what you love doing.
1: Yeah, so uh, as you said, you know, I've, I've got a background in in coaching and education. Uh, I think I was the youngest level three rugby coach in the country at 23. And I've done my coaching career in reverse so I started coaching men then and then did elite under 18s and then have done under 13s and had a couple of sort of national title winning sides and then have ended up now with the sort of under eights and under 9s so I've basically done the opposite of what what most people do um but it but it's provided a, a unique perspective I guess to each of those um different stages Um, And then my own experiences uh, as a sports parent in the early days with my own kids um, prompted us to to set up working with parents in sport where we just felt there needed to be more support for parents. Um, You know, the the business has grown hugely. I think we now work with over 10 national governing bodies. We're in different schools, clubs, sporting organisations, football academies. Uh, and it's just a real privilege to be able to talk sport, talk to thousands of parents, talk to coaches, because coaches have got a role to play in this and actually just have a look at what we're doing as organisations in, in terms of valuing the contribution that, that parents can make. But but doing it in a way that, that works for everybody, because, that you know, we have got a bit of history to uh, unravel based around the sort of parent-coach-club relationship in lots of cases.
0: History is such a great word, but I want to take you back a little bit, talk about your coaching, just just so I can get a perspective on you. If I could just uh, Google map you and drop you in as a pin, where do you want to work? Which age group would it be? Would it be back to the adults? Would it be the young ones?
1: God, what a good question. I I, I don't know. I I mean, I, I... I've enjoyed all of it for you know for the different reasons that it presents itself. You know, when I coached men's sport, there was there was payment. You obviously had the radio interviews. There was bits around that that I enjoyed. But then just the sheer beauty of, of watching an eight-year-old, you know, grasp something and do it for the first time and that joy. And then I guess everything in between, you know, pushing boundaries with 12, 13-year-olds, what are they actually capable of? And then trying to set people up to go out into professional sport, which I had the, the privilege of doing as well. So, yeah, all, all, of it's, um, all of it's had a sort of positive impact. And as I say, it it certainly helped in in... I guess the work that we do just the different lenses. It is experience is great so what what are these
0: sort of common areas you're asked to cover you know does it are you, are you very general in the areas you work with or is it becoming sports specific?
1: Yeah I, th- I think we've got to recognize in this work that that you know that there isn't a one size fits all that you know that different environments are going to have different parameters, different sports are going to have different parameters. You know, we know from some of our work that different countries have different parameters you know quite honestly if i tried to deliver my work for example in india i would just be totally blown out of the water because their sporting system isn't set up to ours their approach to parenting maybe is very different to to what we see in the in the westernized world so yeah i think there is i mean look i think there's general core themes that run across you know lots of this in terms of being a sports parent and how we can best support but you know, a lot of the things, and I think the, the sad thing for me is a lot of people come to you because parents are a problem. So it's always based around the negative elements of poor sideline behavior, too much instructions, fallen out with another parent. How can we improve that? When actually, to make this amazing, we need to get parents to see the bigger picture. And it's all the bits around it on how they support the kid and how they view their uh, I guess, the winning experience. And, uh, you know, let, let's be really clear here. You know, I value winning and competition as much as the next person. And I always say that at the beginning of my, beginning of my workshops. But I think in youth sport, we, it's how we frame that winning and competition that's going to give our kids the best chance of achieving what they want to achieve.
0: On that, on that framing of it now, and you said previously about, you know, changing the history of it. So are there... Um... Consistent things that you come across because you're, you know, negatives always are the key thing. It's the same. I speak to a couple of sports psychologists. They always say, "Oh, we bring it in when it's the negative part." So, what would you say are are the historical things that you're seeing changing, and what do you try and change quite quickly?
1: I mean, I think I think there's still an awful lot of historical stuff that that we need to try and shift. You know, the way more uh, the media portrays sport to society. Uh, for example, and what how winning's perceived in the professional game, because we then get caught up in, you know, what's the professional game? It looks a very different beast to what a child's game is. You know, you then get the things around the 10,000-hour myth, which has nothing to do with sport, but because it's a publicised headline, it carries some credibility. Even somebody this weekend over a barbecue quoted that to me, you know, just in conversation, not because they were trying to do the 10,000 hours, but they... They used it. And then, of course, I felt like I was working because I had to go through the elements of explaining why it didn't apply, which I'm not going to do against. uh, I seem to be in that dialogue all the time. Um, And then, of course, you know, the media always find the worst case scenario parent. So, you know, you get the massive brawls in America or you get that one. Do you remember the other year when the dad came onto the pitch and moved the keeper and then they conceded a goal and everybody, you know, suddenly it's, you know, it's suddenly over millions of of different channels. Um, And it does nothing to actually help manage those relationships because the reality is that there's the vast majority who would love to have support and want to do what's best for the kids. Because as parents, we all love kids and and there is a very large number um, who certainly, you know, value and appreciate that type of support. And that's, that's something we've definitely seen. But certainly in our coach education work, it's very interesting when you talk to coaches about what are the best bits about sporting parents? What are the biggest challenges? Because when you talk to them about what are the best bits, quite honestly, we could be at a funeral. When you talk to them about what the biggest challenges are, we may as well be at Hamden for the Scottish Cup final. You know, you you, you get both sides. But again, when you dig a bit deeper, and we've all been there as coaches, it's because we always remember the one that caused us the most grief. We never remember the vast majority. We always remember the one It's like, oh no, here we go again, let's pretend to be on a phone, this is just a nightmare. And that's what we then tend to bring into lots of the relationships we have as a coach with parents because we're always referring back to that rather than being a little bit more open about what what the opportunities potentially are in, in collaborating and working together
0: no oh, it's it's great such a great point as well is that you do it's almost like everything you just jump to the negative what was that negative and this is how it was therefore i'll treat everyone the same it's a great point and I'm with you on the ten thousand hour things too. Um, Anders Ericsson work forms a lot of my practice, and the ten thousand hours just frustrates the life out of me too. So I'm I'm in the same boat with that one. So let's kind of get into a little to- a few topics. So I'll throw a couple of topics that way, and and we'll just work away on on your thoughts on it. So the main one is is always the positive sideline support. So how do you approach it, and and how how much do you enjoy working on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we we try to play some games with, with parents in in um, workshops um, based around what different types of noise actually look like. So what it's like to play in silence, what it's like to play with a huge amount of noise, what it's like to play with positive praise. So we, we try to look at how that feels for an adult and then potentially what that might feel like for a, a child. Um, and we try to get the parents almost not to tell them what to do but actually just reflect on what it is that they're doing you know and lots of parents think they're doing a brilliant job by yelling the kid every single instruction you know down the line go square don't pass it across the edge of your box well have you not watched the top level football at the moment everybody's passing it across the edge of the box but there's a time and a place but it's all those all it's 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 those old traits that, that tend to keep in, but it's only because we want our kids to do well. We want to be seen to be good. But actually, we know that that doesn't really help them. If kids are asked, they don't really value that. And then there surely can be nothing worse than two adults at the side of a young person's football pitch yelling different instructions to a kid who's got to then process and do with it. And we know that the best players ultimately make their own decisions and take responsibility for what they're doing so uh, we try to look at well come on guys if that's what we say we want our kids to be able to do we've got to provide those environments um, for that and and the one that i think is a really good analogy a friend of mine era parry of high performance parenting uses i think it's a really good one when we're talking about the, the opposition is that if we're starting to yell at other kids on other teams, we're basically yelling at our own kid in a different coloured shirt. And I think if we actually have those dialogues away from competition, away from where we feel judged or where we feel from the pressure, I do think lots of people go home and think, "Eh, you might have a bit of a point there. And, And you'll never get to perfection with it because human emotion always kicks in and I live and breathe this every day and yet some of my sports parenting is absolutely horrific and I will share that with people because there are certain things that in our past that make up us as people that that we really struggle with. But until we've allowed people that opportunity to reflect, think about what the sporting experience offers, I think it's going to be really difficult to shift you know certain types of behavior.
0: Yeah, really interesting. And if we take it then from the sideline Into the car, so I think sometimes as adults we forget how powerful our position is, whether it's coach or parent. How powerful the words we we use, but also comparison. So, what's your thoughts when we transfer from the sideline into the car?
1: Well, it's just a nightmare, an absolute disaster area waiting to happen. And I've, you know, I've got first-hand experience of this. I mean, without a doubt, the biggest challenge for me uh, as a parent. Um, Some of the early dialogue I had with my kids was absolutely awful, looking back on it now. Um, Some of it wasn't really in control either. You've got that worked up and hot under the collar. And this is bearing in mind, you know, I live and breathe this and work in in coaching and know better. and it's not normally about mistakes, it's normally about, for me, things around some of the character skills and what I perceive as as showing a good work ethic and, and what I like to see as a coach and a parent. So there is that. But the reality is that after a game or training, most parents are uh, a little bit emotional and tired because we all join in with what our kids are doing. The kids are absolutely shattered uh, and probably a bit emotional and want us to go back to being mum and dad we probably need to have something really positive because they've been on show and yet they need to feel the safety of being back at home or heading towards home and then we often think that this is a really good time to have a really healthy and positive dialogue and actually if they're not handled particularly well it, it can cause real conflict um and you know we'll all that everybody probably listening to this will have had a bad car journey at some point whether it's through bad school news or bad sport or whatever, where we just can't control what we're saying and we think we've run out of steam and then we find another breath of wind and we keep going. Just those ones that are really difficult. You know, so we we try to say to parents, you know, look, we've got to try and make this as consistent as possible, whether we've had a good performance or a bad performance. You know, we've got to try and uh, get some consistency into the approach that we're taking. And, And in an ideal world, we want the kids to reflect on, what's happened for them. So we we want them to lead conversations. Now, the trouble is with that is that some kids will never say anything. And, you know, some parents would never hear from the kids for months. You know, know, mine, for example, met Stephen Gerrard, who was my hero growing up when he was playing in his uh, football against Liverpool. Gerrard was there a few years ago. And he told me four months later on Christmas Day. Absolutely no no thought of that going on so that can be really challenging for parents because I think a lot of us actually value car time you know whether that be coming from training school it's a good chance to get our kids without devices and actually have a good catch-up with them so I think if we're going to ask questions we need to ask questions that allow the kids to reflect I think we've got to be comfortable with uh, silence if it's gone wrong. I think we've got to understand that it is all right if our kids have had a bad day. It's all right if we have lost a game because the danger we have is that in trying to make it better, we do things without realising that actually hit some of those character traits. So if we always make excuses and always blame somebody else because we think it's making our children feel better at that point in time... Then actually, we're hitting some resilience traits because we're letting our kids know that there's always a reason for something going wrong. Well, something's going to go wrong in your life anyway. It's not, we can't solve it. So, there's lots to think about around that whole silence piece, allowing children to recover. Because the reality is that kids play in their sport, they recover far, far quicker from something going wrong than the parents do. You know, 20 minutes later, they'll be more worried about what's on the pizza that night. It's only us as adults that stew on it for four days, particularly if it involves somebody else. And I think that just that awareness of uh, of that dialogue and those environments and our body language and how we approach it is is really important, but you've got to find something that works for you, whether that be TikToking or whatever it may be. This is why I'm saying there's not a golden rule for everybody because some kids love talking about their match with their parents and have really good dialogue around it. But I think it's the awareness that it could be a danger area. And if you're aware of it, you probably can steer it, you know, as productively as possible.
0: Yeah. The words I'm pulling there, consistency, reflection, Silence is a great one. I mean, silence is so awkward in any environment. So when there's emotions attached and expectations attached, it's really big. I'd like to know your thoughts on something I'm working on now. So I'm sort of an approach I'm thinking about working with the players is maybe creating a super strengths list. So when I'm doing these interviews with the younger lads who have been through academy football and a first team, whether they have or haven't been successful, I'm asking them, what are you really good at? And it takes a little while for that to come in. So I was thinking about maybe if you had four or five super strengths, you talked to it with your parents, and then maybe when you jump in the car, you rate your super strengths maybe out of five, out of ten.
1: How would you...? Yeah, I I, I think it's great. I think anything like that's a a, a really good idea and it's really productive. All all I would say on that is that what you actually want is to make sure that some of it's performance-related but some of it's character-related because we need to show our kids that there's far more than just the outcome of some of the skills, because actually they may not have done some of their tech tack stuff well, but they may have shown some amazing creativity or adaptability or resilience or determination or communicated well with their teammates that, you know, there may be other elements at play. And I think if we can incorporate those into any form of parental support program about valuing the bigger picture from sport i think it's a far nicer lens to judge success on as opposed to whether we won 2-1 or 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 lost 2-0 and you know we were a bit unlucky because actually it should be the performance and the process over the outcome because we don't always get the outcome we want
0: yeah definitely especially the younger you work with them the the process is far more important and it's such a great point something I'll, i'll write notes on straight away and I will also reflect on on the non-sport part, so building character, creating accountability, dealing with failure. Do you see that as as equally as important as communicating to your your children with as passing it, throwing it, catching it?
1: Oh, uh, the most important, and and uh, you know I'll I'll tell you why, and this this is. Uh this is the whole basis of our work and how we can view the sporting experience. Cause what parents will say to me is, you know, the, the most, the popular question I get asked is how do I know it's all been worth it? How do I know that all this time, money, energy commitment has been worth it? And it took me ages to come up with a really good response that I'm happy with. Uh, I think I'm on about take 155, but the one I've got at the moment is that if we view sport, which still remains today, one of the safest vehicles, to equip our children with a wide range of character and life skills that will allow them to thrive in whatever environment they end up in it will have been worth every single ounce of, of time money emotion and passion because it carries a far bigger meaning than just the outcome you know and the reality is you know and i think of some of the 10 skills that that we focus in on things like determination resilience creativity adaptability good communicators uh good decision makers you know self-reliant uh kids who show humility and all those traits like that is that i think if you are viewing it through that and celebrating those with your kids to show that that's what you also value you'll get your outcomes anyway your outcomes will soon follow suit but, it, but it, it's got a far bigger impact than just, oh, well, was our success based around did we win? Did we score? Were we the best player? Which can often be the success criteria.
0: Yeah, I like that. And does that help manage
1: expectations as well, then? Uh, I don't know if it helps manage expectations, but I think it gives you a way of having more wins. And more things that you're able to talk positively with your, with your children about and actually show them that there's far more to this experience than just the outcome of Sunday morning. You know, and and you know, don't, you know, don't get me wrong here. I I want to win as much as as anybody, but certainly with a kid in academy football, I've learned that it, you know, that the results are barely kept nobody's that bothered even though they sort of know what's going on mistakes are allowed to happen uh you're allowed to try things um and and actually if you're then viewing it through well did you apply yourself well did you do those bits well I just think it's um I think it just eases the pressure on you as a parent as well I think you just see that there's a bigger picture
0: yeah it's really interesting and I, I don't know I, I... You know the, the groups you work in the groups i work in you're right with the kids i mean half the time that by the time they've hit the cars they've totally forgotten about scores sometimes you've one or two that'll be really frustrated but you're right in saying that half the time by you get to the cars you can see parents maybe arms folded or absolutely delighted kids
1: have moved on it's gone past yeah 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 absolutely and it's just understanding kids isn't it and you know we we know you know, it's going to be different in every house, isn't it? But we just know a little bit more around the sporting experience now and some of the the, the science, I guess, data. And I think, you know, it's just highlighting maybe that in some areas we, we, we've got our perspective all wrong um, and not through anybody's fault. That's just the way sport has evolved.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes you come across pain or I come across parents that are worried they're not doing it right. But it's, you know, it's like archaic thoughts in your head that come in from 25 years ago, 20 years ago. It's just the way that we've shifted with it. And I'd like to touch here maybe on identity now and just how an individual can be identified as a rugby player or as a footballer. Personally, I, I try really hard to establish that the only time the lads I work with are a footballer. Is an hour before kick off, and then when the final whistle goes. So I will tell them that Sunday through Friday you're just you, and then on a Saturday when you're rocking, you're a footballer.
1: Yeah, I think that's brilliant, mate. I think that's uh, uh, a really good way of making something quite complex very, very simple. Um, and I think we've all got a role to play in that as coaches, you know, and parents. You know, we'll often talk in academy programs that you know we must be creating or helping to support multifaceted kids at home and that's kids that have a wide range of different interests different personality traits different things that make them them you know and even little thing you know we're not introducing our kid as this is johnny he plays football for x or this is david he's a rugby player or then somebody comes in and the first question that they ask your kid is how's your football going we've clearly got something wrong there if that's the environment that we're creating now it's easy to get sucked into that it's easy to get sucked into social media it's easy to get into some of the bits that that we can get into but you know when we refer back to those character and life skills we want we want to know our kids as them the person with these amazing traits not by you know what any outcomes that they achieve um, and we've all got a role to play in that. You know that isn't just about parents. That's about coaches. That's the education of kids. That that's that's everybody involved in in supporting young people to achieve their potential.
0: Have you come across any any strategies or questions that could be used for parents in that scenario? I I did an episode that a lad called Struan, and he he spoke about he just became a footballer and when it was on Facebook and um, his parent put a photo on it, be like oh. I'll look out for him in the future. And he really did feel like he just became a footballer. So have you come across scenarios or situations where a parent's swung to another parent or a family member, your child's a footballer, how's the footballer doing? How do they extinguish that and move on to maybe like character like you're talking about
1: yeah, I, I look at it, and I think this is why it's really important that, that we get this at the beginning of any process. And you know, I, you know, I'm doing some work at Derby County, some work with Oxford United last year, and got a number of sort of football academies in England that we're going to be working with next year. And actually, but we need to be getting this at the start of the journey. You know, by 15, it's too late. You know, all this support and the reality and the expectation, we've got to have a bit of honesty in this. You know, we've, we've got to be honest with people. We've got to be able to paint the picture. We've got to show the wider value of our programmes. And we've got to ultimately understand that no matter whether we think we've, we have got the best play in the world, we can't make those judgments in talent, certainly pre-puberty, certainly till those later teenage years. And I think we've got to be doing all we can to ensure that our expectation and how we set up our family life at home and all their other interests and their education are a fair reflection of the odds that we're actually playing against. Because I don't think anybody means to 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 behave in this way if those those are the odds. You know, you know, if I'm more likely to be hit hit by a meteor than than my lad playing Premier League football for the club that he's currently at, how can I possibly base his existence on the chance of that happening it's not a logical thought process we wouldn't do it with anything else we wouldn't we wouldn't bet our house and mortgage on at those odds and yet we gamble with yet we gamble with young people and i i I just think again it's but it's having that opportunity to talk isn't it And it's that opportunity not to rub people up in the wrong way and the opportunity to have the dialogue and think and reflect and share how we feel gives us a chance of these, you know, conversations coming out into the open because they should be happening, yet in a lot of places they don't.
0: No, totally. And you're right. The odds thing is the thing I struggle with the most. Sometimes I even ask why I'm coaching because because – I I think I've switched my position. I, I no longer coach football. I now aim to just make better people. I've quite comfortably now moved on to that. But it's taken me, you know, I've had 10 years in the CAD. It's taken me a long point to get here. And yeah, if you've got a better chance of winning the lottery, then than making it, it's it's just I think being on like really honest and really open, I think constantly, reinforcing it. And I'll make trying to make sure every week I'll say at least once, this is really, really hard. You're unlikely to make it. So what else are you doing it for? You know, what are your values? Is is that an area you work on when it comes to values and?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think what you want is you know, kids to have you know, as particularly as they get older, that they have their own set of values that they're trying to strive for. You know, along with the parents. You know, and again, it's it's more of a a, a character based thing than the actual performance itself you know and if they've lived up to those standards or they're pleased with how they've approached it from those points of views you know irrelevant of outcome it's still been a a, a major success um and I, I I do I think I think that is really important I, you know kids are allowed to dream you know I've got no issue with that I would never tell my kid that that's the odds um, and I think we should be encouraging children to think big and dream big. I, I, I really do. I've got no issue with that, but I think as the adults in the experience, we've then got to make sure that we're prepping the environments around it to use it for the opportunities that it that it actually provides, because, you know, football academies have got some bad press recently, and I think that's, that, that's a t- again, a, a, a totally lopsided view of what's going on because actually in a lot of clubs there's some brilliant practice going on you know I've seen some amazing people who care dearly about players who are developing them for all the right reasons who try and do everything about you know releasing them in appropriate way if they ever get to that stage all the touch points all the follow-ups everything that they do to help these kids set them up to go off to the U.S. there's some amazing practice going on there I think we can always get better at it obviously but, but there really is. And the, we, we just seem to have the negative impact of them at the moment. And I, 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 I think there's an awful lot of good in them as well. Not necessarily because they're picked at such a young age, but I think a lot of the opportunities, the good coaching, the good facilities, everything that it provides compared to what the alternatives may be, I think are a positive. And I, I don't think we should ever lose sight of that I think we've probably got to provide a bit better support around it if you're part of that that process and that journey
0: yeah and I'm just I'm also going to add to this here that I was speaking to, to a parent of a player that I used to coach and I think at 17 or 18 they moved clubs and the parent talked about how difficult it was walking into the environment you know walking in an environment where where kids have been there for a really long time and Now, being the new face, the new competition, the child or the parents are going to be taking that jersey off that can have a, a real impact as well,
1: yeah, absolutely. And you know, let, let's let's you know, there's no point hiding from human nature, the, the, the that that's very much the case, isn't it? The moment we see any kind of threat, you know, how can we make it any more uncomfortable, either for a new player or a new parent? You know, that's that's the the nature of it which is such a shame really because actually if you look at the bigger picture of all this actually in in any academy that we might be in or any environment actually we want loads of good people because actually the better people are the better we become if uh, you you, you know and our kids become if you're able to embrace competition in that way which which is easier said than done
0: very very much easier said than done that's for sure Um, so I'm just looking at this question here and I'm not too sure kind of how to how to phrase it, but it, it's a bit from earlier. We were talking about um, making decisions under pressure and you've got the old seven plus or minus two. So we can roughly hold seven bits of information in our heads plus or minus two at any point of the day. Then when you transition it into pressure scenarios, that becomes three plus or minus two. And I'm trying to link this to to so kind of parents walking into new environments or trying to help their kids walk into new environments or into match days, how do you help or, or how would you suggest you help with coping with, with pressure? Because we have spoken there about going into a new environment. What about the day-to-day pressures?
1: Yeah, I mean... Again, it, it, it's all perspective, isn't it? because you know, I look at look at my individual journey and I don't feel under any pressure whatsoever, but that's because I'm very laid back about the whole thing, which as you say, is easier said than done. I'm not, I'm not banking on it being the, the only outcome from this. so actually whatever happened um, will happen. I think the reality is we've got to make sure as parents that we're really dialing down the expectation. You know, our kids shouldn't be feeling any of the pressure of our weight. You know, we shouldn't be adding weight to their, to their, the sort of what they've got to go and do and adding that extra burden. You know, our kids should know that we love them, we're there to support them, we'll, we'll, we'll help them uh, the best we can. But, there certainly shouldn't be any added added pressure from us. I think we've got to be careful of that um, as parents. And this isn't about um not wanting the very best for our kids and maybe having high aspirations, but it's more about what we expect to happen. And we know that talking to young people that you know they're naturally nervous before they go and uh play sport. And they're already desperate to please coaches and mums and dads. And you know, and if we and some nerves are good. But, you know, if we ramp it up so much, the number of times I've seen over the years, the so-called big game ramped up, for example, and the kids turn up and play and the performance is absolutely woeful. We would have been better saying nothing about the big game at all and saying it's just another game. Um, and I think we've all, again, got a part to to play in understanding what how young people react to things.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple more questions um, just before we kind of finish up. One on the, the coaching side of it. So from the coaches or the organization's perspective, two or three really key points that you think should always be mentioned, covered, communicated?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think you've got to have a, an, an organisational an culture that incorporates parents, recognising the fact that they probably have the biggest influence on their kids. And if they've got the biggest influence, why wouldn't we use that to make the potential of the people we're working with, you know, help them fulfill that even more? Um, The the difficulty then is what, if you've got those set of values, things that you've, uh, you you know, are obviously an important part of your environment, is how often do we use that language? How often do we see it? How often do we see it in the behaviors of the people around the club? Same with the coaches. The the coaches are merely gatekeepers of that wider culture. The culture set and supported by seniority, the coaches are just gatekeepers of that wider picture. So not in terms of their coaching style or whatever, but their behaviors and what they value are the same across the organization. Because only then can we possibly expect parents to buy into what we truly value here as an organization. You know, and if we're saying, for example, if we just take it, and this is one extreme end of the scale, that if we're saying to parents, we're all about development here, it's all about the character, all about what we're trying to build and and we'll do all the bits around it. Yeah, our social media feed only ever talks about results. Then we're immediately giving conflicting messages to what's happening. I also think that coaches, and coaches don't dislike me for this, because luckily I'm able to bail myself out with my own experience. Coaches are allowed to shout things onto a field. Coaches are allowed to give appropriate feedback at the appropriate time. Coaches are allowed to engage with the players. That is part of coaching. This isn't advocating um, complete silence from coaches on the side. But I think what we do have to be careful of is if we've said to parents, for example, we don't want instructions yelling, I don't think we can then stand 10 metres in front of them and then yet basically joystick players around the field, for example. Likewise, if we're wanting to create better environments around officials and we're asking parents to do some things, I think we've really got to set the tone as, uh, as coaches um, in terms of the environments we create around it. And I know from work we do with coaches in different clubs that the coaches who do a brilliant job on their engagement expectations regular proactive communication model of values do it all the time you end up with a lovely group of people who are just conforming to what's been created because you know human nature is still safety in numbers you know like we like we alluded to at the beginning
0: Absolutely, and hierarchy comes into that too, which is a world we're not going to jump into because that, that will take all night. Um, there's a, a great video on your website at the moment of Tiger Woods and his son, and the mannerisms are identical. The way they walk is identical. So just give us a bit on that because I, I think I watched it two or three times in a row. I absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, we use it in our workshops to sort of highlight the point of the importance of role modelling, but I think we've got to be so aware of everything we say and everything we do around our kids which lots of us are you know we tr- we try to mo- model the best we can but it's sometimes even little things that we that we maybe say you know it, it, it hit home to me the other week and, I was having an opinion on the, the Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua uh, uh, fight. And it's a very uninformed opinion, mine. You know, I don't often get into the world of boxing, but I sat there and say, yeah, I can't see Fury losing. Proper street fighter for me. Been through too much. There's no way you can, you can lose that. And my little, tw- you know, 11-year-old son, he's not so little anymore. I need to stop saying that on these shows. But, you know, 11-year-old son sat there. Ten minutes later, he said... Do you know what dad that Joshua hasn't got a chance has he you know I just don't think he's as much of a street fighter as few now he will go and repeat that just as he has done with my opinion of Jordan Henderson for example when I was when I was particularly you no know, at a time when Jordan was struggling a bit I I had a view on that I don't share that view now but his view on that is basically shaped by my opinion whether it's a, a good opinion or not that's what our kids do And it's the same after matches, you know, if we're really grumpy about losing or or the winning and we're making excuses and we're blaming everyone else, we can't then not expect our kids to think that that's appropriate behavior because they will. And I've, look, I've coached and taught kids over the years where I've seen that in bucket loads. And those kids are not successful because later on, we need kids to take the responsibility themselves and if we haven't provided the foundations for that to take place, then it becomes really, really difficult for them. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've, we've, again, it's an awareness thing, isn't it? If you watch that video, you hear a little bit of dialogue around this. You have a think about what that looks for you in your context. You start to think, hmm. Oh yeah, hang on, that that's maybe not good, you know, maybe not great. And again, it again it'll be different in different houses. You know, we've all got strengths and we've all got weaknesses, and that I've certainly got plenty of those as well.
0: Yes, it's a constant battle, isn't it? And I I remember hearing from a from a player one say to another coach, and I have to admit, I'm exactly the same. So I would be in the same mode, but I remember them saying, I looked over to you and I missed a chance and you were looking up to the clouds with a head on your hands. It, it, hands on your head, sorry. And and that stuck with me the whole game. So this whole role modeling thing, it happens on both sides of the, the sideline, that's for sure. And I think it's the little things you probably have to try and recognize more than the really big things for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that one's a classic one, isn't it? The amount of times that I'll have done that, particularly in the early days, I'll turn my back on it or just put my head down and whatever else. And the reality is for all some of our shouting, the kids don't actually hear what we're shouting anyway. But what they certainly see is the reaction. And we've got to make sure that when they're looking over on the side, hopefully they don't do that too often again, because that's linked to other issues as well, which, you know, maybe is an episode another day. Because actually, they shouldn't be looking over for our approval, because they should be making their own decisions and, and not worrying about the ramifications of that. But that's a, that's a whole new topic, um, is that when they do look over, they're, they're greeted with something that's very open and very positive, regardless of what's just happened.
0: Yeah, it's a really important point, and we've we've been reading as a species reading body language for a hell of a lot longer than we've been listening. So it's so much easier to pick up on that, and it's definitely something for a, a different one. There's a, a, a I'm watching a show on Netflix at the moment, and it's about um, kids golf. I don't know if you've come across it. It's in the swing or golf in the swing or something, and it's it's under seven, under eight, under nine. It's the best in the country and then the best in the world all go to Pinehurst in America. And they play a championship over three days, and I'm halfway through it. And it's it's dad and child caddy most often, and it's a phenomenal insight into this role modelling we've been talking about. And I'm absolutely obsessed with it, and it's something that's that's so important. But what I'm, what I'm going to do is finish up one last question here, because we obviously could just go all night by the looks of it. Um, but if I if I could give you a blank sheet of paper to build the foundations for a, a great parent-child relationship and then linking that maybe into the triangle with a coach. What
1: two or three things would you you sort of bed in as the foundations of your house? Yeah, I think the key is you've got to talk to your kid. And that that's going to sound like the most obvious thing in the world, but actually we neglect it. And we don't talk to them in their language or get the responses from their side. We tend to drive it from the the adult angle, you know, and I think the ability to ask our kids why they're playing, you know, what you know, because if we know the answer to that, it gives us a better chance of being able to motivate them, you know, asking what they want from us on match day, because some parents would be amazed by the responses their kids give to them, you know, how, what do you want from the car journey home? How do you want us to support you when it's when it becomes challenging? And not that we we were going into this completely ridiculous society where it's just let them play and the kids make all the choices that that's not what we're saying here but i think it's the management of that information and how we then process it in amongst our own thoughts will hopefully give us a a sort of far better better blueprint you know to work from Um, and we know that kids ultimately we, we look at dropout rates across the world we we know that we need to have children who are intrinsically motivated so it's coming from them it's driven by them it's not adult driven you know they're the they're the kids that continue to participate and play in sport and unfortunately for us as as adults we try to do some of the other things by rewarding some of the wrong things and and forcing them to do things and actually okay there's got to be a bit of that because we've all got to get our kids into stuff at a young age and try and get them to see the value in it but also later on there's the, the flip side to that when other priorities and things come along and that's that's when they'll say no you're all right thanks i'm going to go and do my own thing
0: no i love that Thank you so much for coming on. I want to give you a little bit of time to. I don't know if you want to talk about your books. I seen there was a wee booklet on the website just popped up today. So and when I was on it, so I'll just give you a little bit of time to kind of explain all the work you do.
1: Yeah, so it'd be great to see anybody on the website www.parentsinsport.co.uk. Uh, we've got a massive members area full of content, uh, both for parents of grassroots kids, parents in performance environments, uh, for coaches. Uh, on building positive relationships with the parents for parent coaches, because uh, that's an interesting dynamic when you take on the role of coaching your kid, um, and obviously you've got to be mum or dad at home as well. And there's there's books to accompany uh, a lot of those topics, and and obviously we deliver lots of live and virtual workshops in in a number of organisations. So it'd just be great to see people on there, and obviously on Twitter. Uh, at WWPIS same on Facebook um, there's lots of daily content on there lots of dialogue opportunity to to see how other people see the sporting world whether that be coaches or parents from different sports across the world so um, yeah it'd be great to see
0: you oh, Thank you very much and I do I highly recommend it I've, I've used the website for a long time now myself And Gordon thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate it
1: Yeah no problem at all
0: that's it for another episode thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed that again you can get me on twitter at PlayTrainGrow. grow a tweet retweet and a like would be awesome if you'd like to get in touch with myself it's playtraingrow at gmail.com thank you and goodbye